Doki Doki Duffy Sensei's Japanese word of the day is Hashira. Austin, what does Hashira mean? Pillar. It does mean pillar. We discovered that while watching JoJo's. Yeah, in Hashira, you might recognize it from Demon Slayer as well. The Hashira, I guess, are they're the pillars of the Demon Slayer community. And it truly is the same word, the same kanji or Japanese character and everything. So, you know, Shinobu, Tokoyami, all those people, they're just the pillar men of a different world. We're all pillar men of a different world when you think about it. I don't really want to absorb people into me. Welcome to Bravery Punch, the Shonen Show, where Kono Dioda. I'm Kunai Kenny. And I'm Doki Doki Duffy. And today we're going to focus our breathing and dive into part one and two of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It has been a little bit of a break, but I was working on it for you listeners. I was watching all of JoJo's part one and two just for you. It took a gosh darn podcast, but you finally listened to it. I wish I, wish I could think it was for me listeners but it was for you strictly for strictly business but what do we have coming up in today's episode austin oh we got a whole jam-packed episode filled with jojo and his bizarre adventures today or sorry rather their uh, bizarre adventures today we're going to be looking at specifically part one phantom blood and part two battle tendency of jojo's bizarre adventure because that's what you've crunched through so far yeah looking forward to crunching through the much longer part three but that's gonna have to be a full episode coming up in the future i think i think part one and two really set up part three in a really beautiful way and i'm excited for you to watch it but Today, here, we're looking at part one and part two. Spoilers ahead if you have not seen JoJo's. We are going to be spoiling both part one and part two heavily throughout the episode. So if you have not seen it, please, for the love of, of God, go watch it. You will not regret it. And you could be like me. I crushed through it in about week, two weeks. It's not that long. Then come back to the episode. What are we doing first today? First, I got a little JoJo's history to, to give you here. I want to do a little history lesson here because JoJo's is a truly influential anime it's, it's huge it's been going on since 1987 and um, up until 2004 it was in shonen jump but uh, after 2004 it moved to senin magazine and descending uh, sorry a senin magazine and does descending mean like teenager or something like that like teen boy Seinen means adult that's probably the word seinen. Okay, i have to see the notes but yeah yeah it's probably seinen i'm probably mispronouncing it <laughs> ultra jump is what it moved to in 2004 because it kind of has a slightly more uh, adult audience i suppose i don't know how much people realize how long this show has been around or this story rather because i think correct me if i'm wrong the anime started in what like 2012 ish yeah and the manga itself is actually older than Dragon Ball, right? It's right around the time of Dragon Ball. Uh, it's Fist of the North Star era of anime. But Dragon Ball and um, JoJo are right alongside each other. It is right before Dragon Ball Z. And I, and I think it definitely kind of played into the, the beefy boys we see in Dragon Ball Z. But Fist of the North Star, you know, influenced, influenced JoJo, which influenced Dragon Ball Z kind of. So I, I think, you know... 
all of these shonen in this in this kind of early era really influenced each other. So JoJo's Bizarre Adventures by Hirohiko Araki. And it was, as I said, it was published in Shonen Jump from 1987 to 2004 and then was moved to Ultra Jump. And it follows the Joestar bloodline as they fight evil kind of throughout time and throughout generations in various ways. We see stands and we see Hamon. Today we're going to be looking at Hamon. And the original inspiration for Araki's work and art style actually kind of before Jojo even was a French post-impressionist artist, Paul Oh, French is hard. Paul Gauguin. Gahon. Gahon. Yeah, sure. Paul Gahon. It really kind of opened up Rocky's art style. You see all these crazy colors. We see this interesting character design that I think he has. You can sort of see in this in this French artist, which is which is funky. In our research for this episode, uh, this artist has a painting actually linked directly on Araki's Wikipedia page, which is pretty funny. I don't know how many manga writers could have that sort of inspiration like directly like that and i mean along with kind of that art reference jojo is just laced in pop culture references from character names stand names you know we have our main antagonist dio named after the band dio and we have later on stands like Craftwork and golden experience all these things that are just named after music and pop culture it just it it is flooded into jojo which i think gives it such a unique uh breath compared to um, a lot of other shonen and even the fashion and things like that kind of as the show progresses through time we see the fashion evolve as well so it just kind of shows araki's sort of I in culture, I guess. He's just very attuned to what's happening in the world around it, and JoJo's adapts to it in a way that no other shonen really does. Before we dive into the story itself, what's up with JoJo's now? Because I think some listeners might know it's on like hiatus sometimes. It is it doesn't come out weekly, right? What's what's up with it? It's nearing its end. It's in its final part right now, I believe. I don't read the manga um, myself. I've only watched the anime, um, so I don't know fully where it's at schedule wise. But I do know it, it's coming near an end here. We're we're in the final part, according to um, Araki. Um, but it, it's uh, it's been around since 1987. And if you look at him, he does not look like he's been writing this manga since 1987. It's he's he's an age. Man, it's 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 incredible. He's just as beautiful as as his creations. <laughs> and part five is on its way, right? Oh no, part six oh, is on its me, way. Part six. Stone Ocean. We got Jolene. We'll be hitting the screens hopefully this year in 2021. We know David Productions is working on it, and. Gosh darn, does David Production really give JoJo's the love it deserves? So I cannot wait for another season to come out. But today we're just going to be looking at the beefy boys of part one and part two. And Doki Doki Duffy, just right off the bat here, what's kind of your your baseline reaction to coming coming off of JoJo here? Yeah, so I'm coming in hot and fresh off its parts one and two. And they are wacky. Sorry, but do you mind? I, I had a couple other JoJo oh, yeah. facts before we before we get into your reactions. <laughs> rewind. Hit Sorry, me those facts. I just wanted to say um, I, I mentioned earlier the kind of influence of JoJo. I just wanted to list off some other sort of statistics about it. Um, it's sold over ninety five million volumes, and in two thousand six, uh, the Japanese Agency for Cultural Affairs put out a survey, and JoJo's was. The second most popular anime after Evangelion. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, beating out One Piece and Dragon Ball Z. So I, it just kind of shows the crazy influence this show has. And yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to get uh, get those little facts out there before we dive in. And Doki Doki Duffy, coming fresh off JoJo, how you feeling? 
show is wacky as a heck, but it is fun. So I'll be I'll be honest with the listeners. You obviously know this. Part one, I started a long time ago, uh, like last year, and kind of got bored with it a little bit. Uh, but for the for the show and for my dear friend here, I knew I had to power through. And as soon as part one ended and we transitioned to part two, I was much more on board. It was just more fun. It was, I mean, I guess I was just more into it and I just let the wackiness wash over me. I could agree with that. I, th- I think part one, it's, it's, it's hard to say it's the weakest JoJo part, but it sets up this legacy. It's and you kind of see the starting point of Araki as a writer and as an artist. And it's, I think, essential in the JoJo's experience. If there's anyone out there who thinks you can just skip to part three, heck no. you got to see where JoJo gets that inherited destiny. That's what's so cool about this show is we've talked about it a little bit, I think, in some past episodes. But this idea of inherited destiny in Shonen where our heroes is some way or another have been passed down this power. Do we want to do more reactions or do we want to jump into that? Oh, sorry, sorry. I just, I just get <laughs> I know, so excited about it. There's, there's just so much to talk about with JoJo. But I, I, I just want to hold that for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, keep keep telling me your how, how do you some more feelings you got. One thing I noticed, I don't know how much with part one, but with part two, the pacing is very quick. There's lots of little, and not in a bad way in any way, but like lots of little moments that are just crazy, but you're just on board because you don't have a chance to, you're just strapped in. Like, I remember there's this part when JoJo and the gang are in Switzerland and they're like after the pendant thing. And there's a whole segment where he's falling through this like ice with cars and they're like fighting. And you're like, how did we get here? But it's it's like over in five minutes and then they're just doing the next crazy thing. And I'm just on board for it the whole time because it doesn't give me a breather to like stop and think about it sometimes. And I'm interested to see if that continues in part three or not. I think what Araki does so well is the overarching plot of Jojo is kind of simple and basic. It's like, all right, we have a big villain who we have to take down. But in the meantime, we have all these just bonkers subplots happening that make this whole story just seem that much more ridiculous. Like they're just going after Dio in, in Phantom Blood. They're trying to find Dio or in part two, it's just, you know, kind of training slash searching for the pillar men. And along the way, they just kind of get into these wacky, crazy, bizarre things. And that's what Iraqi does so well is just give you these bite-sized, wild, crazy, weird things that are just somehow I find so entertaining. So we've heard a little bit about my reactions to watching the show. These were fresh opinions. When you first saw parts one and two, were you just like, yeah, this is my, this is it for me. Like I'm so on board or did, yeah. was there a, yeah. like a learning curve for you too? No, I was in, I, I was in right from the really? get go from part one. Yeah. I just loved the energy of it. The, the poses, the color palette swaps, the soundtrack, the opening, something about the whole energy of the show right from the get-go I was into. I was heartbroken at the end of part one. Hmm. I was heartbroken when I, I thought I – mean, spoilers for part one, as I said <laughs> earlier in the show, but I was – like, Jonathan just dies. We'll get more into that later, but, I mean, it just – this show swept me right away from the get-go. I crunched through part one so quickly because I was like, oh, my God, Dio, this motherfucker? <laughs> oh. It's just – I loved every part of it, the soundtrack and the sound design of the show, like, when just – 
I don't know. A, a, you never think you want to see a show where someone kicks a dog, but <laughs> <laughs> JoJo's is a show where you're, <laughs> a lot of dogs get kicked because our Rocky, oh, no. he has said that uh, it's uh, just like it's a sign of pure evil mm. is someone who kicks dogs. So it's something that like bad people do in JoJo a lot is kick dogs, but it's an amazing show and I love it. And I watched parts one and two like – Back in high school, a long time ago, and I, I watched part three as it aired, and I have just watched it as it airs ever since, and I, I can totally understand the the culture that has um, been built around it, because I think it's truly a phenomenon. As old as it is, and as influential as it is, there is still nothing in anime that can compare and is like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. For me, I mean, I've only gotten a little taste of it, but the biggest way I see that to be true is in the aesthetics. Like, we're just a shonen show, right? Or we're the shonen show, of course, sorry. <laughs> As the shonen show, we always look to other shonen. And the aesthetics of JoJo are unlike anything else I've seen in this genre in a really cool way. You mentioned the color swaps, and I want to touch on that for a moment. Just from, like, a pure aesthetics, we haven't gone to the pillars yet, but no other story is confident enough in their character designs to swap colors around willy-nilly. And, I mean, I have two things for that. One, they really d trust you. They really count on you to know who's who just from their striking silhouette and what they look like. And if you're not keeping up with that, that's on you. The second thing that's interesting that I don't think any modern shonen will do, at least for a long time, is the colors are usually used as, like, a power-up. Think of Goku going Super Saiyan whatever. His hair goes yellow, and then it goes blue. That signifies something. Naruto changing his whole color scheme when he goes like sage mode. That's like a deliberate choice to show he's more powerful. In in this world, Jojo can just have blue hair one moment. Cars can have pink hair the next. And you're just on board. And it's really cool. Yeah, I think that the aesthetics of Jojo just are one of the things that pulled me in right away from those color swaps, the, the character design. Every moment you see someone, you know exactly who they are. I think character design is always very distinct in an anime with kind of your main cast, but something about the way Araki does character design, I think there's a lot more uniqueness, I mm. guess is the word, in, in every character where he can do those color swaps and things like that, where some characters too, like not even the the power-up, but their hair color is a very defining part Absolutely. of that character. But in JoJo's, it's kind of like loosely interpret interpreted what the hair color can be because the color is just always changing. And, and I think that's that's so fun. And no, totally. Crazy. I don't... I don't want to make too big a deal out of this alone, just on the colors, but I've read and heard in the past that anime characters have such wacky hair colors to make them easily distinguishable, right? If you think for a second, this is a Japanese like form of art, no one in Japan has naturally red and purple hair or whatever, and they just use it as a way to... Here in America, we do have natural of purple course. hair. Of course, I mean, as you've seen a picture of me, I've got bright pink locks, and uh, <laughs> Austin here's got blue. No, but I just mean... It's just they use the colors to signify. And when you think of some of your favorite characters, their hair color, you can't think of them with different hair colors. That's just not what happens in anime. And it's just cool that they're willing to do it. Yeah, it, it, it's so cool. David Productions does such a phenomenal job of animating the show. I think it's really the only show 
that they do. They've done other things. I think they did an idol show in yeah. recent years, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, but I they just put so much heart into every frame of this show. And it's like part one doesn't seem like crazy high budget. And, and part two, same. They're, they're like not super crazy animation, but what they do with the color swaps and all that, I think it's just so much more effective with kind of the budget that they had at the time. And I think with that, we should maybe dive into uh, part one here, Phantom Blood. I know you might not have a ton to say about it, but I, I did have a, a couple points I wanted to fire off about Phantom Blood. So are we getting into the pillars or are we just going into this part as a, as a whole right now, holistically? Well, I, I think Phantom Blood, it's tough to do the pillars with mm-hmm. you, because we can really fire them off really quickly if we want to no we can let's look at it holistically all right all right all right all right we'll take a step back we'll take a step back i'm sorry i don't want i don't want to do jojo's dirty i just have a lot to say i'm so excited we're here i guess let's start with pillar one the most essential pillar of of all of the the jojo's all of the the joestar bloodline is uh jonathan joestar in part one of phantom blood and he is a tried and true gentleman and he acts out of the noble good of his heart and just wants to be a good gentleman like his father raised him to be. And the thing with Jojo, I think, that is different is he doesn't quite really have too much of a dream. And that's because he kind of works in tandem with the antagonist of the show, who I'm, I would argue part one is more about, is, is Dio. They kind of, like, his dream comes from the antagonist Dio, which eventually is to, like, I guess it's to get the mask out of the world. But ultimately, Jojo's quest and his story starts with Dio entering his life, and it is, ends with taking Dio out of this world. So it's fascinating that he doesn't quite have a dream. It's really just sort of centered around Dio Brando. Yeah, I don't want to hate on your boy here, but I think that was probably why I wasn't so drawn in immediately, is that... John, Jonathan is the first one. Yes, Jonathan <laughs> Joestar. Jo- Jonathan is kind of lukewarm to me. Yeah. He's got the... He's he's charismatic, I guess, but he's just like a nice guy. And when you compare that, I know I don't want to jump too ahead, but I think we'll also say Joseph doesn't have as much of a dream either, but he's just got so much charm and character and personality that when you don't have the driving dream, Jonathan didn't hook me in, but Dio really did. Dio is really interesting even from the beginning, I think. Part one, Araki didn't know it at the time, but I think part one is truly about Dio. And I think the show does such a fantastic job of establishing an antagonist where we know where they come from. We see Dio as a kid living kind of in poverty. He's treated like trash. And from there, he knows he wants power. He wants to rule the world because he does not want to be treated like this ever again. So we truly see an antagonist motivations from the beginning. And I think that's not really done in a lot of other shonen. The antagonist is just kind of a big bad. But yes, Dio is Truly, truly awful. I'm not saying he's a a redeemable villain, but it's just cool that we get to see where Dio comes from and we understand a little bit why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I never thought about the fact that other shonen especially don't show the villain from the start. It's always a mystery to them. It's always, ooh, why do they do this? And you tend to get flashbacks for a lot of them, right? Like Pain and Naruto is so cool because of the big story. But it's a mystery for a really long time as to who that is. So that is pretty cool. And even if the author didn't realize it, it's kind of 
confident almost to trust that your character will be so cool that you don't need that mystery. You just know it's like, yeah, this guy's cool. People are going to want to see him be evil. Like, uh, we're here. And going back to what you said about Jonathan, too, Araki does have a quote about um, how he feels as about Jonathan as a character. And uh, he says, quote, there are limitations on how I could write the character because he was a, quote, symbol of justice. So he may be a little on the boring side, but I solidified his character as I went. Jonathan is passive, reacting to Dio's various acts, and this leads to him discovering his way of life. Perhaps this is linked to me as an author, growing along with my character as I drew him. Just as Jonathan was unsure as to how to live his life, I was unsure of where to take the character. Maybe I grew as an author a little with Jonathan as he trudged on through his hardships. Okay, that of course makes me like him more. I mean, come on, that's just so cute. And I'm never one to say that, oh, if the other didn't have it all planned out, it doesn't count. Like, so many amazing little things that happen in this world of of shonen happen because of just, like, things that the writer or sometimes the independent artist did just on a whim. And, you know, early shonen, always. You never know exactly what's going to happen. I think that's a really cute little quote. And I think it that's what makes JoJo so cool is with these insular parts is gives Araki a chance to kind of work with a clean slate. And each part, you really see him evolve as an author, the way he writes characters, the way he does character relationships, the way he does main characters. It, it's always changing in each part. And so you really get to see his evolution as an author in such a cool way. And yes, the continuity isn't always there in JoJo's, but it doesn't matter because you're just having such a fun time on the wild and crazy ride that is JoJo's. And seeing Araki's evolution throughout the series, I think, is, is something that you do not get in a lot of other shonen. Well, I'm excited to see some more of that, but is there more part one to dive into here? No, I, I think, I mean, well, I guess... Well, I'll talk about the end of part one because, you know, and we'll, and we'll transition it right into part two. And I, I think part one kind of exemplifies our, our bo- good hearted boy, Jonathan, in the end. You're kind of slamming him a little bit. So I, I got to. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we talk a lot about good hearted boys yeah. on this show. And, and Jonathan, even in his final moments here, as he cradles Dio's head in this boat, he still shows love and compassion to this monster who has pretty much ruined his entire life, has killed his dad, has made Jonathan's whole life about seeking out Dio. But still, in this final moment, he holds Dio as the boat sinks and shows him compassion. And I think that's a really beautiful end to Jonathan Joestar and a, a true and tried shonen hero showing compassion until the very end now you have me feeling bad that i don't like this guy i mean (laughs) you could have just been describing like tanjiro just now like a character i love so maybe i'm just maybe i don't know what i'm talking about it's a short part you can always go back and watch it i think when i was watching it i was just eager to get to the next part i think was a little bit of it i remember not being invested in like the romance which was kind of focused on at the end because uh arena or elena Mm -hmm. Obviously, he becomes a major character in the second part. So I think I was kind of just focused on the destination. And it's important to remember to focus on the journey sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Do you mind if we take a quick break? Because it is hot in here, and I just want to step out and get a sip of water before we dive into part two. It is hot in here, and it's about to get hotter when we talk about some battle tendency. Stay tuned. A bloody storm is coming. Kakui! <laughs> 
You can follow Bravery Punch on Twitter at Bravery Punch and find our email address in the link in her bio. And if you like the show, please be sure to rate it, share it, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Every little bit helps. And if you want your voice heard, please send us your thoughts on any shonen that we have reviewed so far. We'd love to read what you think about Demon Slayer, Promised Neverland, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Coming up, we got My Hero Academia. There's so many shonen, and we want to hear what you think, too. And we're back, ready to talk part two of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and part two of Bravery Punch here today. And in a truly bizarre episode for us, the first time in BP history, (laughs) we'll be doing the pillars during the second half of today's show. When, are we going to get right into that? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I guess we'll just start right off with our hero because I think it's totally bonkers and crazy and wild that it is done this way. Again, think about we're in 1987. Jonathan Joestar just died. <laughs> he is dead and gone. There's, Shonen, ain't no, there's ain't no Dragon Ball death. Yeah, shonen heroes don't die. They're not dead and gone. And something I will want to talk about a little bit later on is how Araki does death. And it's just crazy that our hero is gone. He's gone. But in his place, we now have his grandson, Joseph Joestar. Before we even get into him, it's it's truly unthinkable from our modern shonen era to think of a shonen hero dying and that not being the end of the story, right? Any example I could name that isn't from JoJo's, it just doesn't work. That's crazy. There's no one who's ever done this. I, I think Araki is one of like the boldest shonen authors just for this one thing. And it, it's crazy. It, it's so wild. And it opens up so much room for, for him to play. And that, that's so much fun. And I think each part, as I said earlier, you really see him grow. And right from the get-go of part two, you just feel a different author stepping in from the moment that Joseph is introduced. I feel like I was there with you when you were watching, and right away, I, you already seemed like, whoa, this this guy. I mean, Joseph enters as this cocky man who starts beating up cops who are harassing, I think, his black friend. So, like, obviously I'm on board here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he just right from the get-go has the charisma, the style, and the attitude of, like, a, a fun shonen hero. But he is still a pretty different shonen hero because again we we have a hero who doesn't really have a dream the dream is in jojo it's this more the inherited destiny than it is the dream he has been passed down this curse essentially of these vampires hunting down the joestar bloodline and again it's uh on joseph to save the world from uh, evil doom. That is a big thing that we will talk about in just a moment. But I want to say one thing about Joseph himself. Uh, He might have really started a trend of the goofy kind of idiot who's a combat genius. That's something our near and dear friend of the show, who's been mentioned nearly every episode at this point, says about our favorite Luffy. He always says Luffy's an idiot, but a combat genius. We see that with Naruto, kind of stupid. We see it in Haikyuu. Kageyama, the genius setter, king of the court, is a dumb dummy. He can't do he can't do math, but he's a genius at his like combat. And Joseph is maybe like the the primarch, the like archetype of that. 
because you meet him and he's ridiculous. But in every combat situation, you pointed this out, he's really strong, but he always has a brilliant plan that always comes to fruition. It's so weird because we're in an era of anime that is all power fantasy. It's always like the hero just comes in and wrecks house, and whenever they're around, you know they're going to win. And I mean, obviously, JoJo's going to win, but it's not the same kind of power fantasy. It's truly like... An intellect, not intellect. I want to say an intellectual <laughs> battle, but it's a battle of wits. He almost. is doing vector calculus to yeah. calculate the exact trajectory that the ball arrow is going to curve around. You need college <laughs> physics to do that. But it, it's just wild. We see a hero here, Jojo, who is the one using dirty tactics, the one using cheap tricks. Where here our antagonists in part two, the Pillar Men, they're the ones who are all about noble fighting and being. Well, one of them is. Yeah, one of them. But you know, they all kind of have a moral code a little bit more than Joseph. He's, you know, he's like a street city kid from New York and he's the one kind of using the dirty tricks and tactics to win in the end because any of these villains at any moment could flick him away. But somehow he just has the charisma, (laughs) unique nerve and talent (laughs) 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 to to be a queen. (laughs) And he truly is. He makes his drag debut in Mexico. Yeah. He does. <laughs> wow. And this is back in the, the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> what an icon. Truly, truly. <laughs> is there anything else to say about this man before we talk about his inherited sort of destiny, the burden placed on him? I mean, I just I just love him. He's honestly, in part two, he's still one of my favorite JoJo's just because his whole energy, his attitude, his charisma is just unmatchable. I will say the last thing about him for me is my favorite look was at the end of the part when he has Caesar's headband and he's got his own scarf. I don't know what it is about headbands on anime boys, but I love it. And that was just a real good look. Definitely, definitely a good look for him. We've mentioned what the heck is Inherited Destiny. We've mentioned a lot. I think it's finally time to crack that open. What are we talking about when we say that? Well, think about all of your favorite heroes. You got your boy Midoriya who, of course, inherits one for all from All Might. And then look at other shonen heroes, such as Naruto, who gets a wolf fox put into him by his parents. We look at Luffy, who has the sort of will of the D. We just see this so much throughout shonen. We, we even see it in um, a volleyball shonen, uh, Haikyuu. Um, our, our main character, Hinata, wants to live up to be like the tiny giant. There's just always something these characters have to kind of live up to or um, sort of emulate in the way that they do things. And it's important that there's something thrust upon them, like from generations prior that they didn't have a say in. I think Naruto is a really, really clear example that he's born. He's just a little baby. And this great burden of controlling this mega beast is just it's just his now he doesn't he didn't ask for that and part of his journey is just dealing with that and in so in jojo we see that super clearly how yeah i mean joseph's whole story is revolved around a mask that his grandfather was was wrapped up in and even not just jojo caesar too a little bit has has this sort of inherited destiny but yeah we we just see a a character each arc who 
kind of falls into turn. Eventually, it, you know, it, it does kind of move past the masks and and things and, and things like that. But somehow, the the Joe Star bloodline just kind of always is around evil, and they have put it upon this kind of family to to rid their world of it. Each generation, there is a JoJo who kind of like has to tell the other JoJos like. Here's what we gotta do, cause you're a Joe Star, and it's it's an inherited destiny. And so we're here to say that that is potentially even more important than the dream. We said in the first part of the show that there's not a singular dream, at least for me in parts one and two. All I've seen, there's no singular dream right now, like in contemporary shonen. But there is this core of the burden placed on the next generation, which is potentially even more fundamental to what shonen is as a story. And if you're doubting that, dear listener, I ask you to think about a shonen story you like and think if anything was placed on your favorite character, the favorite hero that was outside their control, that was set up from generations prior. Can just fire him off just right now. Let's see, Tanjiro, the fire dance. He has to carry on that legacy. We got our our boy, our daddy, Aaron Yeager. The attack titan is literally thrust into his body by his dad in this crazy plan that he didn't ask for. You can just go on and on with any shonen hero like that. And we might owe that all to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, honestly. Yeah, we truly, we truly could. And I think with that, unless there's anything more you want to say on the Inherited Destiny, we can move on to our second pillar, man, the crew. Oh, sorry, the second pillar. (laughs) Oh, you planned that. Okay, crew in part one. This is kind of the part one and two show. Crew is kind of non-existent. Yeah, part one's crew is honestly the weakest part of the show. I think it it's such a short part that characters are kind of thrust upon us and we forget about them. Yes, we do see the introduction of Speedwagon, but I feel like he's almost brought more to life in um in part two, he, though he does have, you know, his, his moments in part one. Same thing happens with straights. So Dyer, of course, is a legendary Thundercross <laughs> split attack, which I did kind of yell when that happened. I was very excited. Straits is almost nothing in part one, but then is used much better in part two, again, showing that Araki's really coming into his own. I actually have a fun thing about Straits and why Araki used him um, in part two like that is he wanted to introduce a villain that was kind of at the same level as Dio, but, only, you know, so setting the bar at the beginning of part two with, like, okay, Joseph can beat someone like Dio in order to introduce that kind of next level of villain. So, sorry, I just wanted to get a little str- straight back out there. And then our crew in part two is expanded ever so slightly, but it, I think it really benefits the show. What's our what's our crew in part two? It's still pretty slim, but we do have Smokey, who we meet uh, pretty soon. Um, he steals his wallet from um, Joseph, but, you know, Joseph is such a good boy that he, he takes Smokey in and brings him along for his journeys. I don't know. Smokey's just kind of there with Speedwagon reacting. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Smokey, are we? Who <laughs> no, are we no. here to talk about? Oh, we're here to talk about Caesar Zeppeli. Caesar Zeppeli. Oh, another beautiful, beautiful man here uh, brought to us by Rocky. Who you can tell, I think you said this when you were watching this episode, you can tell he's a main character right away. He's just sitting there. He's got the crazy design. But this guy rolls in and he says, my signature power, you're not ready for it. It's bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) Just what an odd, what an odd, like, first secondary, like, deuteragonist or not something, whatever. The secondary main character have this special power be bubbles. Yeah. It's interesting to me. It's very, very beautiful. And and I truly love the Caesar Joseph relationship and dynamic. I think it, it is 
so well done. I feel like in so many shonen, we have like the sort of antagonizing friends duo, and it's done kind of terribly in a lot of shows. I think Naruto does a poor job of doing it. Naruto and Sasuke, like, never really feel like friends to me ever. Same with um, Midoriya and Bakugo. Like, I don't feel any friendship there. But with Caesar and Jojo, we do see them at the beginning of the series really have a disdain and hate for each other. But as they go on adventures together, as they're put in scenarios of certain death, they actually start to like each other by the end and have compassion and, like, care about each other. And I think it is the start of Iraqi just like crushing it with doing boy-boy relationships, like male friends, like no other shonen author. They're just so, so well done. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't even for a second think about comparing this relationship to something like Naruto and Sasuke. This is going to sound scripted. I didn't even think about this. And I think you're right on the money. So often when we watch these shows, we can see the same antagonistic relationship pop up, like you said. I literally it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, they start out like, they're like more posing at each other. They're like, yeah. oh, I don't think you're like that big a deal. But then they train together and they truly develop a great relationship. They love each other more than <laughs> more than anyone else. And then they do fight towards the end, but it's it was never a fight like Sasuke, ooh, I'm leaving because you're lame, Naruto. I never even thought that. And as this is, you know, my side career now, I'm thinking about those kinds of things a lot. But it just felt very natural, very a clash of ideals. I still think Cedar was kind of out of line there, but it felt very natural, I guess. As mm -hmm. natural as these two pillars of men can feel when they clash. Mm -hmm. I know we're talking about how beautiful Caesar was when he was alive, but I do want to touch on Caesar's death, unless there's anything else you had you wanted to say no, about No, I him. mean, I think that is the wrap... That will bring us naturally to the wrap-up of the crew. I don't <laughs> know if we can really count Lisa. Lisa as a crew. She's more like the mentor. She's more yeah. like a Jiraiya-type figure. She's not really in the crew, so yeah. Speedwagon's also part of the crew in both part one and part two. That's true. Our, our good uh, Speedwagon Foundation. Shout out to him. Um, Lisa Lisa also, um, I think, was cool. Again, thinking about this show from 1987, she's like one of the first women characters in Shonen who's not a love interest. She is just kind of a badass mentor and fighter. Yes, she is, you know, sexualized um, often. But I think, you know, again, thinking about this show in a historical context, she is like one of the first strong shonen women characters. I was definitely a little disappointed with how easily she was just mm -mm. fodderized by cars. Because her first fight, she just completely obliterates a rando vampire. And you're like, oh, sick. She uses a scarf, very reminiscent of the fantasy book Warbreaker. If any <laughs> listeners like it. Uh, but it's very cool fighting style. And then she just gets, like, immediately beaten by cars and made into a hostage, which was disappointing. Yeah. But, like... Yeah, I, she is cool enough. She's not like a Sakura that I think she is a character. And the fact that she's JoJo's mom, I think it makes her cool enough, but a little disappointing there. Yeah, for sure. But touching back on, on Caesar's death and, and how Araki does death in general in JoJo's is when Caesar dies, he just like fucking dies like a stone cross just falls and crushes him when joseph sees him like outside in the snow like that's the last time he sees him think about in shonen and in anime and movies everywhere there's always like character dies in their arms and says their final thoughts to them their final words in jojo's it's just like splat boom they're done there's no 
compassion. There's no final words. There's no hope. Like you're dead. You're dead. You're just done. Yes. There's some moments where you're like, you think they're dying, but like, I think a Rocky really shows you when someone's dead. <laughs> Unless you're a villain. I don't want to get too sidetracked. I don't yeah. know the pillars right now. Villains feel very different, but I do agree that when it's a main character who's not a vampire, I do think the death is very impactful and very unpredictable at times. Yeah. So that, that's our little crew there uh, in JoJo's part one and two. I think Iraqi really gets stronger with the crews each part, as you will see in the next part. I think he really um, dives into the crew idea so much more. It just it gets better and better and better. Would you say he exhibits a, a progression through his own power system? Oh, 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 yes, 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 indeed. <laughs> what is the power and progression system for parts one and two? We have Hamon Energy. Uh, one day, a sun ninja showed up to uh, Joe, Jonathan Joestar's house, and, or not house. But just, you know, walked up to him on the street and said, hey, let me teach you sun magic, son. And that's how the Joe Stars learned about Hammond. And maybe I'm just dumb. Dear listeners, you can please write in and tell me if I'm dumb. But between part one and two, a part of me forgot that it was based on sunlight energy. I just thought it was like they're breathing. I just thought it was this mystical Hamon thing. But it actually is critical that it's sunlight because their main adversary are, are vampires. Yeah. How do they use this sunlight energy or Hamon by the way, Hamon does not mean sun unless I'm, it's like wave something. It just comes from the sun. But how do they use this in creative ways? How do they use it to, to fight? Well, much like our uh, friends in the Demon Slayer world, there is breathing and focusing your breathing involved. But what is kind of fun about Hammond is different people sort of channel it in different ways or develop different tactics to to fight with it. Some people like have a scarf that they infuse Hammond with and fight with it or you know Caesar has the bubble some people use needles I don't know it, it's always something kind of weird and outside of the box that is uh, used for Hammond it's not you know your typical progression system again in Jojo's part one and two it's not about strength that really outwits P or that outdoes the villain it's more kind of a battle of wit so Hammond is cool because it's not like Joseph uses it to win the battle, but he uses it to kind of give him a slight edge in his plans. It's a very loosey-goosey power system where anything goes, and in a different show it might not work, but it really, just because of how JoJo is presented, I think, I think it works well. And obviously I know this story came first, but it's most reminiscent to Nen, I think, from Hunter x Hunter, where there's this element of really personalizing it. Like, Caesar didn't have to use bubbles. Caesar didn't eat the bubble bubble fruit, and that's just like, <laughs> no, he said, I am going to use bubbles because I think it's a cool way to fight, and I think it's effective. And then he has a sick bubble attack against Sandboy that's really cool and really powerful and really creative. So I think the, the personalization to Hamon is really cool. And I do think the, the progression, if I can just speak on that, the progression is subtle, but it's definitely there because we have that training arc where they have to climb a pillar, lots of pillars <laughs> today. They have to climb the pillar and they have to learn to focus it better and focus their breathing. And once they get to a certain point, then it's about the creativity because Caesar improves a little bit and then he's able to do his cool bubble attack. Jojo improves to a lot and is able to do all kinds of crazy stuff. So there's like the first tier of progression, I think, is like using the hamon, getting the breathing right. And then the second tier is like making it your own, which is cool. Yeah, it's fun, but you can forget about Hammond. You know, <laughs> don't, don't worry about it anymore. Really? Like it's just gone? <laughs> yeah, I kind of I just, just kind of like, 
got into it right now. Like, just now, I was really feeling it. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. It's a good time. And that's just it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a good time. I, we had fun with it. We were, all, we were all laughing, having a good time in the studio, but, you know, we're, we're going to be moving on to part three soon, just, so. I love how personalized it is. It's so, it's so cool. What's your personalized Hammond attack? Oh, my God. My Hamon? Okay. I, the, infusing it into stuff, I think, is really interesting. I think the scarf is really cool. You, I could definitely see, like, a, um, there's an X-Men who, like, throws cards, right? Mm. I could definitely see that being, like, a Hamon thing. Uh, but also the fact that it's sunlight, I would just love to, like, blast sunlight. It would be cool. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I, I honestly don't. I'm, now that I said it, but I don't really. I asked the question, but I don't even know what my Hammond ability would be. I think I do always like the clothing infused ones. I think like something with like a cool spike on my jacket. Yeah, it'd be cool. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, but yeah, I, I think the, those are our three pillars here. But I do, I guess, want to sneak in a little bonus pillar for JoJo's. And um, we talked about it a, a bit in part one, but I think JoJo's does antagonist pretty well. And part two doesn't do them super great. They're all right. They're fun. The pillar men are fun. They're cool. But they just can't compare to Dio. And it took Araki a long time to find a villain to compare to Dio. He had to bring Dio back because after the pillar men, he wasn't sure how to really bring a, a villain back around that could quite compare. Dio is just something truly special in a villain. And I, I just just love him and, and also wanted to kind of talk a little bit more on, on the pillar men and just how I think they're fun and cool, but they're just not that compelling, really. So it's funny you say that. At this point, I've had more time with the pillar men, right? Because I've had like 15 or whatever episodes and maybe more. And for me, Wamu is the biggest villain. To me, Wamu <laughs> right. is like the cool one. He's like, he was the honorable one. He killed Caesar, but let him like have the little bubble message get away. He was defeated, but like did so honorably. So right now, I remember Dio being cool, and I know he's going to be a bigger deal, but Wamu is kind of my guy right now. Hey, well, you can hold on to that, I guess. He's, he, he is the best part of that. I think the Caesar-Wham fight is, like, my favorite part of that series, uh, part. Yeah, definitely. My biggest gripe with the antagonists is they feel kind of all over the place in terms of power. Um, in terms of personality, I actually really like them. I like that Cars is just, like, evil to his core, and I like Wamu being... Wham, Wamu, you know, same guy. That's what we're talking about. My subtitle said Wamu, whatever. But I, their personalities, I think, are fine. Their powers feel wonky and all over the what place. What about ACDC? It, like, <laughs> ACDC, I thought he was shown to be more powerful than yeah, Wamu. But... I really thought it was going to be like this, like, hierarchy that we love to see. And he's defeated first, and his power was just hot blood. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It was weird. And yeah. then Wamu ends up being way more powerful. I just felt like there there should have been like a better hierarchy, or maybe I was just not paying close enough attention. It's just it's it's just weird. ACDC is just weird. I don't really know. Yeah, ACDC is he, a weird one. He takes over that girl's body, yeah. and it's really gross to yeah. watch. Hey, Joseph marries that that woman. Yeah, I mean that's that's props to him. Like he doesn't care. That's cool. <laughs> we don't shame people for having their bodies taken over by a demon man. Unless you have any other things to say about uh, parts one and two of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure here, I think we're almost ready for you to start your part three journey. It's true. I have been holding off on part three. I wanted to get my thoughts and feelings out on this episode, so here they are. I'm excited to do part three. We might do a full part three episode. I know it's longer. We might have to do a halfway point or something. I'll put in the work for you all listeners, though. But not for me. It's for you all. (laughs) 
<laughs> my, I guess, let me, my final thoughts. My final thoughts on parts one and two. Part one left me kind of lukewarm. Part two left me wanting more for sure. I think Joseph and Caesar captured something that I, I did resonate with. It is weird to know that this power system I've really grown to get into is going to be gone, but I've heard so much about stands, and I'm excited to see what this show can become. What I really love about part one and part two is they set up the Joe Star bloodline. They start up this, start off this epic in, in such a cool way that no other shonen can really do, and they have so much rewatch value just because after you see Dio again in part three and just... After you experience more of the Joe Stars, going back to the beginning again and seeing where it all began, it's just so much fun. And it gets more and more fun each time. So I think that's kind of why JoJo's has this cult following like it does, because each part is so insular and you can kind of skip. Once you've watched through all of them, you can skip around and watch whichever part you want to and just revisit all of these different moments in time with the Joe Star bloodline. And it's just truly, truly a bizarre adventure. Hey, hee, hee. What kind of punch does JoJo's Part 1 and 2 throw? Oh, a whole flurry of them that you're not even, you don't even know about yet. Whoa. I was going to, I was thinking about doing an Ora Ora thing, but we'll save that for Part yeah, 3. Yeah, that's, that's coming. <laughs> Until then, I'm Doki Doki Duffy. And I'm Kunai Kenny. Stay brave. If you liked this episode of Bravery Punch, give it a rating wherever you are listening. We want to hear from you. Follow us on Twitter or send us an email. And please subscribe to not miss the next episode of Bravery Punch. Hey.